Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. It's an honor to introduce you to amazing women who are making a real difference. With our podcast, you're going to hear inspirational stories, personal and professional challenges our guests have overcome, how their backgrounds and values help to shape who they are today, and how they give back to their communities, empowering women around the world. And I'm very excited to have joining me today is Lisa Clark, who is co-founder and managing director of BitCadet, which you're going to get to hear all about. But let's get Lisa right on our show. Lisa, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Linda, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on this podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to other women and learning their experiences in manufacturing. Oh, it's great. Yes. And getting to talk to you and hear your story is just, you know, it's an extension of that. And what a story you have. You know, Lisa, you just, you have this amazing background. You've lived in the Philippines, you've moved to Houston, you've been to Decatur, and you've, you know, you've been around quite a bit, even as, as a young child and switching schools. Why don't you tell our listeners more about you and a little bit more about your family? Yeah, absolutely. So the reason I moved around so much is that my dad was an air traffic controller in the Air Force. And after he retired from there, he got into manufacturing and worked on the marketing side. In the meantime, my mom was a speech and language pathologist, and she's always worked in public schools, specifically inner city schools, trying to help those children. And growing up, really the core values that my parents stressed to my brother and I were perseverance, work ethic, generosity of spirit, and also philanthropy, especially from my mother. She really stressed the importance of being of service to our community. Yeah, and I loved your story about Thanksgiving. Yeah. So we used to spend our Thanksgivings feeding the homeless. And then at the end of the day, we would go and have our own meal at home. What a wonderful example to be set. And you're actually volunteering now, right, at a local refugee camp you were telling me about. Yeah, for sure. I volunteer currently with the Portland Refugee Support Group. And what we do is we pair an American citizen with a recently resettled refugee, and we give them a long-term acclimation and learning curve. So pairing them up so that they can really learn about life in America. Wow, that is an amazing service to offer. And, And also, I'm sure that seeing how others live in third world countries really gives you a better appreciation for what we have. I know you were, you've talked a lot about gratitude. Yeah, gratitude is essential. It's really important to every day recognize just how lucky you are and what you've been given. So it's something that I'd really try to focus on every day. And obviously paying it forward. Your first chapter, and I love this because you started off in animal sciences and working in in the veterinary world and then later transitioned to manufacturing. But tell us about what life was like. You got a degree in animal science. How did you move on from there? Yeah. So initially I worked in horse surgery and then I moved on and I was a rehab technician. So I helped rehabilitate domestic animals, specifically cats and dogs, and really helped play a pivotal role in their recovery in really a hospice-like setting. So we had a lot of older dogs and cats. One of my main functions there was building wheelchairs for dogs. And we had this whole fleet of wheelchairs. And then I would have to customize them for each dog and what sort of disability they had. It was a great learning experience. And also it was very fulfilling because you were able to give these dogs a great end-of-life experience. 
Oh, that is lovely. But what I love too is when you when we were talking earlier, you were stressing the transferable skills and that, you know, at that time you really loved managing the back end systems. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you did? Oh, yeah. So that was a wonderful experience. So through both of those jobs, you know, I really learned the value of teamwork and communication, especially through high stress situations. At the same time, I was redesigning some of their backend systems and some of their operational processes, working on just different candidate referral systems. And I really focused on the database management, especially in rehab. And that was great because you could longitudinally look and see how the animals were progressing over time. I know you loved working with animals, but there was also a point where you went back for your MBA in healthcare. Yeah. So... What I recognized when I decided to transition was what had got me to where I was wasn't going to get me to where I needed to be. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. But what I wanted to do was to be able to help more people. I was really at this point in my career where I was doing a one-on-one helping service of that pet and their families, but I really wanted to be able to spread the skill and offer it to more people. So I went to Vanderbilt and I got my MBA in healthcare. And then I entered at the Vanderbilt Hospital where I revamped their intake and training of their certified nurse assistants. And that was adopted through the cardiovascular unit. You also had touched on something in an earlier call and I loved it, which was the greatest risk is not taking a risk. When did you first see that as being an important part of your background? So that is something that my grandfather always told me. And he was the man who was always on vacations, always running his gas tank to the lowest (laughs) it could go. (laughs) Um, He he was always taking risks. He got lost in the woods at least once. And it was a mantra that he had adopted for his life. And it was something that was just, you know, it was demonstrated to me through my entire childhood. Yes. No. And and for all of us, I mean, for me, that's I I wish I had taken more risk. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So then you went on to, and this is, it was a big change, but you went to a a brand new chapter in a very different kind of business. What made you choose manufacturing? So the reason that I went into manufacturing is that manufacturing jobs really offer strong family wages, and they're also a really strong economic booster, especially for local economies. And what I saw there were some serious problems that were in the industry, and I knew I could help solve them and keep these jobs that are so essential around in our communities. And what I saw was that manufacturing is really about 10 to 15 years behind in their sales processes compared to other sellers. And they really needed to step up to meet the current buyer's needs. And we can see this from Buyers have been sourcing and vetting their suppliers now, how they source and vet, you know, buying for their own home. So their expectations have changed. The other thing that's been happening is that millennials have really been rising to the role of buyer. And so they expect a totally different experience. And so you can see where there was this massive disconnect between how manufacturers have sold are all this time and what their buyers are now expecting. So lagging 10 to 15 years is a big deal. Why is it so hard for them? I think the really hard part is obviously change. You know, just being human, we're naturally afraid of change. But in that, there is this fear of losing revenue. 
These manufacturers have these long established relationships and this guaranteed revenue they've gotten for years, and they don't want to do anything to jeopardize that. And they also don't want to hurt their relationship with their dealers or distributors that they've taken years to build up. So it's interesting because manufacturers, you know, they're okay making the investments into their operations and product quality, but they don't seem to have the interest to invest into new sales processes. And also you had mentioned um, that a lot of these businesses tend to be smaller, family owned and operated, which is another challenge, right? They don't have any kind of a formal succession plan in place. Exactly. And this is happening all over the marketplace. Either, you know, they don't have children or their children just are not interested in taking over the family business. And they don't really have a plan B of how to attract potential investors. And it's really disheartening because they've worked all these years on their business and they go to exit and they find out that the value of their business is not what they expected it to be because they have limited buyers, because their growth has been relatively stagnant. So they really don't have a plan on, you know, an exit and a retirement plan there. Which really leads us to your business. So so tell us about Big Cadet. Who is it, how you got started, and the people that you're serving? Absolutely. So BitCadet is a technology-focused consulting firm that I run with my husband. And we bring these sales strategies to manufacturers. My husband actually started BitCadet, and then I joined on with him after I graduated business school. So at BitCadet, we increase manufacturers' sales and their company valuations by creating innovative digital sales channels. So whether you're an owner or you're an investor, or you're just looking to increase the value of your business prior to sale, we specifically design and execute a growth program that's tailored to their industry and their needs. Right, which gets us back to those buyers. You're helping them reach those buyers who want to find them online. Precisely. In terms of your team there, can you tell us a little bit more? You're based in Portland, Oregon. We are based in Portland, Oregon, but we work with technologists and digital sales experts and industry analysts all over the world. And so essentially, we work, as my husband Dusty Dean likes to say, we work as the digital SWAT team for <laughs> manufacturers. And our goal is to deliver revenue growth for them on an accelerated schedule. So we take over that entire process while they focus on what they do best, which is building and shipping quality products. So you're helping them grow their business, but you're also, it sounds like you're helping them attract investors who might want to buy that from them. Precisely. By growing the business and really showing a positive sales trajectory, it's a natural investment opportunity. So could you tell us, I know you have a recent client, Versatube, but could you maybe just give our listeners an example of how you work with a company and just, you know, maybe some of the results that they're seeing as a result? I'll give the example of Versatube, just they are a great client for us. And we initially started by helping them increase their leads and just, and, and that's where we started and then as they began to build more leads, we entered the company and we built an e-commerce channel and we built it specifically to their niche. And we built an online configurator where people can go and design their own product. And Versatube is a do-it-yourself steel building manufacturing company. Sorry, I didn't mention that. That's okay. 
<laughs> they can actually design their own buildings using the digital tools that we have built for them. On top of that, they began to grow and the B2C channel really started to take over where they had predominantly been B2B. And so we came in and we started to build out their customer experience team to really handle the B2C sales process. And so we had to really change a lot of their internal processes so that they could meet the buyer's needs and requirements as they grew. Right. And it's such a great example of a company, you know, I mean, do-it-yourself steel building kits. You wouldn't, at carports and garages, you wouldn't think of it as something that a homeowner would necessarily take on. But with the pandemic, that's actually helped their business. Oh, it certainly has. People have largely shifted, obviously, away from taking vacations and have put their money back into their homes. And so in that, the VersaTube sales have taken off through this pandemic. We have grown the company starting there were around 5 million and we've grown them to about 50 million today. Wow, that is unbelievable. And I know you've got lots of other stories that are similar to that. What I find so interesting about your about Bicadet is that you're not only just building this e-commerce platform, but you're helping them really figure out the strategy behind opening up a new sales channel and how they can do it directly. Can you maybe just share what, what other kinds of services does Bicadet offer? Yeah, we offer all kinds of services. So I know you build back-end systems, and, but you also do recruiting, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we recruit positions that they might need. We do training of those positions. We also find out with different companies, you know, what are their digital capabilities and how can they integrate the, you know, where can they start? Then we slowly start our change management process through that. So not every company can immediately take on a massive digital transformation because they might not have the skills and capabilities internally to completely change like that. So we really work with training and bringing their teams up to date, and we do it in a slow process that meets their team's you know, needs and expectations. So what's the most challenging, or I should say yet rewarding part of your job? I really enjoy the change management aspect of it. You know, it's a complicated puzzle. I do enjoy problem solving and problem solving on the human level just takes it up that much farther. So really helping people move into better roles is something that I really enjoy doing. I also really enjoy improving the business model in general and uh, making a better customer experience for these companies. You know, they want to grow and we want to help them get there. And we want to make sure that they're fulfilling those customer expectations at the same time. I mean, this is serious stuff because you're taking a manufacturing company that's been lagging for that many years and helping them get up to speed. And I'm sure it's in a relatively quick period of time. It's got to be a shock to the system for some of them. It absolutely is. But again, we try to go in and we try to figure out where exactly the digital comfort level is among the employees. And then we begin the socialization process of the technology. Some tech companies that we work with are ripe for change and, and they can easily adapt to those changes. Others have maybe an older workforce. And so we have to kind of back down and we go into it slower. 
But no matter what, you know, we really love helping these people grow into their jobs and improve and enjoy using the technology because the technology is there to decrease the hurdles for them. It's not trying to make their jobs harder. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's an excellent point. What's the best advice that you ever got, Lisa? And how did it change you? And by the way, you could tell me the best advice that you never took. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought about this question, Linda, and, you know, I I always have these quotes that kind of go into my mind and they become my mantra for a short bit and they help me change. But my current quote and mantra is from the brilliant Brene Brown. And she says, you can choose comfort or you can choose courage, but you can't choose both. And so... How that's changed me today is I'm on this podcast. I'm a natural worker bee. I am a behind the scenes person. I am a wallflower. So it takes a lot for me to put myself out there and put on a public face. And I, you know, it just takes that courage. And the reason that I'm doing this is because I really want to see manufacturers grow and these jobs continue for Americans. If this is what it's going to take, it's going to take courage. I love that. And you do a great job at it, I must say. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, just to point out too, that attracting potential investors, what would you say to anybody who's in that audience who is an investor? Why would they want to consider manufacturing? Well, manufacturing is just a great opportunity. Generally, these are companies that have very good revenue and good revenue streams. The other thing, I mean, if you're an investor and you're taking over a company that per se hasn't made the investments into technology, technology isn't, I mean, it's definitely an investment, but it's not that expensive of an investment. And so there are really great opportunities to grow and really great opportunities to grow your money if you're an investor. There's a lot of opportunities in manufacturers for investors. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, it's a strong economic booster for the local economies. Yes, absolutely. What's your secret then to managing everything? My secret is that I have to take care of myself. So definitely some days are better than other days, but pretty much daily I try wake up and I try to meditate and I try to exercise and I try to eat right. I have worked remotely for quite a bit of time now. And when I first started, I would work 12 hours or plus a day because my computer was right there and I could just hop on, get more work done. You know, I can't move away from the fact that I'm human. And so I need to really fulfill these other aspects of myself. So I give service through volunteering and, you know, I take care of my mental and my physical health and I make sure that that's done almost every day. And it's made me honestly better at my job. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because first of all, you're my first guest that has said that the secret is taking care of yourself. It's usually about having a, you know, a village around you. So I'm I'm just at, the fact that you said that, and so important, especially now where you hear stories of people who are spending, you know, even more time if they're working remotely, being hunkered down in front of a computer with a headset on for long periods of time. I mean, that's really damaging. It is. And my back is a testament to that. (laughs) (laughs) So I definitely learned the hard way. But if I, you know, this message can resonate with anybody else, they don't have to go through that. That would make me eternally grateful. (laughs) Tell us about the meditation part. What recommendations do you have for that? Is there a particular practice that you recommend? 
I try all sorts of meditation practices. My recommendation is just to try it, whether you know it's five minutes a day or more. It's something that has become essential to my life. I've been doing it for about three years now, and it really helps me maintain my focus and maintain presence, especially when you're on your computer and you're working and it's so easy to dodge off to another website or check something else. It really helps you pull in your focus. And it also helps you manage so many areas of yourself, whether it's, you know, anger management or becoming more empathetic. I can say that most areas of my life have improved from meditation. That's a wonderful message for listeners. And also the part I, I just to emphasize of giving back and doing service. A number of our guests have said that when they're doing service, they're mindful of their own place in the world and what they can give back. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Is there anything that you recommend for listeners? Being of service is definitely, you know, just helping out your community in any way. I think just it serves that your soul. To me, working with refugees currently and hearing their stories, it is a reminder of just how lucky we are to be here, to experience every beautiful day, and to really be grateful for everything that we have. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I do like to ask my guests, and one last question, it's kind of a fun question. If you could have any kind of a superpower, what would that be? <laughs> my superpower <laughs> would be being mindful all the time. If I could do that, I could accomplish so much in life. <laughs> I can only imagine the tranquility I could achieve if I could be mindful all the time. So that would be my superpower. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm going to steal yours then. <laughs> if I, want that I don't need to see through walls. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. I wish you the very best. You know, we're grateful that you shared your journey and your excellent insights. And for our listeners out there, for more information about Lisa Clark and BitCadet, where should they go, Lisa? BitCadet.com is where you can find me. That's B-I-T-C-A-D-E-T.com. So Lisa, thank you. We're going to have to get you back and check back in and hear how things are going. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on today, Linda. It's been a pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. All right. For our guests out there, thank you. Thank you for listening. We look forward to our next show. Stay tuned for some more inspiring stories like Lisa's with Empowered Woman. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>